So I want to start tonight. Um, I want to start tonight with a question, and uh, this—I like it. Good to see you. Hi. The, the question is: Agree or disagree with uh, this statement? It is easy to trust when life doesn't require trusting. So uh, what I want you to do, uh, just in your mind, a scratch piece of paper or your phone notes, whatever. Uh, agree or disagree with this statement? It is, it is easy to trust when life doesn't require trusting. Uh, let me explain. Best vacation ever, where was yours? Location. Like the best friends, family, whatever. Just what you would describe the best vacation ever. We have a vote for Hawaii, okay? Breckenridge. Mmm. <laughs> yes. What's that? Mexico, okay? What's, what's that? Cape Girardeau? Did someone say that? Hold on, would anyone, just hold on, I'm going to have a moment right now. With, would, would anyone say Branson? Would anyone say here the... Are you serious? Are you serious? Are you being serious? Your favorite vacation is Branson, Missouri. Are you being serious? Is Branson cool? I've really never been there. I am judging you, yes. Repent and be saved. Now, now listen, thank you. Check this out. It's easy in times of vacation uh, to trust because it looks like this. I mean, I would imagine your best vacation, like everything was incredibly chill. Uh, for me, uh, man, it's so many great vacations. Uh, one coming up here in Breckenridge with many of you guys excited about that. Um, but uh, I've been uh, many times to um, Cancun with my wife. And it's incredible because I'm like sitting there and I, I never sleep in here. But there I like sleep till at least 7.15 and that's awesome. And, and then like there's like all this incredible food. And there, like it's incredibly easy just to exist then because there, there's really nothing to trust. You see what I'm saying? Like it's just happening. It's easy to trust in those times. Versus uh, times like uh, when I was uh, a young a man just beginning ministry. I came into the situation at a very traditional church where uh, there was some friction, some tension. Uh, I'm not Mr. Traditional. I'm not Mr. Do it like everyone else. And so uh, when I came into the situation where these folks were uh, doing church a particular way, and then I came in and and I was trying to kind of get us back to what I believe the scripture was calling us, what ended up happening is they created this like militia against me. But uh, their weapon wasn't a grenade or a bazooka or something. It was like their mouth. And um, I just remember feeling like this deep-rooted rejection. Maybe you felt like that before. In that moment, for me, I was like, seriously, God? Like, I thought, all, I thought you called me to this place, and I thought, like, we're all the church. And yet all these people are talking about me that way behind my back, and, like, really difficult in that moment to say, oh, God, yes, like, please bring, like, just keep bringing it on. This is awesome. I love that people hate me. This is phenomenal, right? Uh, another uh, instance was... Uh, after a few years of marriage, my wife and I decided to have a children. Big fan of children. Any fans of children here? Right. Just a couple of you guys are in the back like shaking your head. You need to post tape those people to the wall or something. Flog them. Um, when, I, uh, when we were trying to have babies, and, and I know that uh, many people are, are in much worse situation than us, but when you get to month five, six, seven, and and you're, you're, you know, your wife's not pregnant yet, it starts to get really, really tough. And I remember many nights where Heidi's like crying 
And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, seriously, God? Like, I, th- I thought you would want us to have children. Like, what's the problem here? Like, I, I want to trust you, but it's certainly, like, am I going to be 90 like Abraham and have kids? Like, this isn't going to work very well. You know, like, I'm not. It's tough in those moments. Um, there was a moment in, the, in our early church uh, history. We were about two years into the, the church plant. Our average age was about 15. And so people were tithing on their allowance, and money was tight. And, um, <laughs> and so some of you are still there. <laughs> Praise God, right? Um, but there was a time there where I was, like the reality was, is I was probably going to have to get another job. So it was like Matthias by day and like Texas Roadhouse by night or something, you know? And, <laughs> and I'm with you, and I'm with you. But it's in that moment when you're trying to talk to your wife about finances and you're seeing the church finances and you're just like, things aren't adding up when I was like, seriously, God? Like, I thought this is, I thought you wanted me to do this. I thought this is what you, I thought you were calling me into this. It's easy to trust when life isn't requiring trust. But all of a sudden, when those things begin to stretch, the other 362 days of your life, all of a sudden, things get tough. That's why this issue of faith is so incredibly important. Because all of us, find ourselves in this tension daily, don't you? Like, God, seriously? God, I thought you it was this. God, why didn't you do it this way? That's why I'm so excited about Hebrews 11. If you were here last week, we're spending 11 weeks in Hebrews chapter 11, and the whole concept, the whole discussion is all on the issue of faith. And I mentioned to you last week that all of you uh, fall into one of these three categories. Uh, first, the non-existent faithers, Okay? I'm asking again tonight just for all of you to be honest on where you're at. These folks are folks who here tonight, here last week, who are, look, I don't believe in God at all. Don't believe in Jesus. No concept of that. I've certainly heard the word of God. I can say the word Jesus, right? But I don't believe that he's real, true, or is who he said he is. He's a nice man, maybe a good prophet, but certainly not Messiah. That's you, non-existent, okay? Now, the other folks, uh, are, are, they're fragile in their faith. This describes many of you. Your, your one life circumstance, one tragedy, one chaos, one no more paycheck away from your faith just being gone. Your faith is like this piece of glass. I mean, it just, it's, it's waiting on one push over the table and the whole thing shatters. I mean, you're, you're that close to just walking out of the church, forgetting all of these relationships that you have and just saying, I'll never believe in God again. Many uh, have claimed that and done that, right? Spent some time in the church and then soon they're out the door. Now, others of you, uh, we would describe, and we use this word creatively, uh, you have a tender faith. It's a, it's a sure faith. It's a firm faith. But it's a faith that can absorb questions. It's a faith that can wrestle. It's a faith that can hear the Buddhists say their beliefs and not be wavered. Right? And so that's so many of you here tonight. And so this whole journey for you is just going to be constant assurance. The power of Christ, who He is, you're going to be heaped with assurance. I, I hope that the fragile... I hope that those folks who are in here with yours, one life, I hope that you firm up. I hope that that's what this journey is for you. And I pray that the non-existent come to faith in Christ. That's my prayer. All right? So tonight, my friends, the first three characters of a whole litany of characters in Hebrews chapter 11, I invite you guys to open your Bibles, turn in your phones to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. We're going to start in uh, the three verses that we studied last week. And then we'll move on, verse 4 through 6. That's right. That's going to be our 
a typical path, three or four verses a night, thus the 11 weeks in chapter 11. You guys there? Sam? there? All right, here we go. So excited about this. Now faith, verse 1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. This is why we're studying characters now. His contention, the writer of Hebrews, is that all these old people evidenced strong faith. That's why it's worth looking at them. Because of that, they received their commendation. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Started with this case study. If you believe in creation, the rest of the Bible seems to come together. If you negate creation, how can you believe the rest of the scripture? Verse 4 through 6 are verses tonight. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Interesting. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, the scripture says and here in verse 6, finally. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Three characters. We start tonight with Cain and Abel with the recognition that many of you have no idea who they are. And if you know who they are, if you know that they're in the early parts of Genesis, I would imagine that as we look at the story and see why Abel's faith is talked about in Hebrews 11, you're going to learn some new things. So Genesis chapter 4, let's do this. Here we go. Now Adam knew his wife Eve. That means they consecrated. That means they got together, okay? Don't need to get graphic here, but they they were making babies. Verse 1. Now Adam knew his uh, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Cain's the oldest saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, my wife's had two sons, and she didn't say that statement either, after either of them. You know what I'm saying? But I, I, we're kind of like, that would be a pretty powerful moment. I've gotten a man, right, with the help of the Lord. She didn't say that. She said, give me more drugs. Verse 2, and again, <laughs> and again, she bore his brother Abel. So the very uh, first of uh, two sons, after the fall of man in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, Sin, the Bible says, because they sin, now all have sinned. They have two sons, Cain, an older one, Abel, a younger one. Now here's their occupations. Abel was a keeper of sheep, a shepherd, right? And Cain, a worker of the ground, a farmer. Two sons, Cain, the older, Abel, the youngest. Cain's a worker of the ground, and Abel is a shepherd. Verse 3, things start to get interesting in the course of time. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. All right. Now his brother, on the other hand, Abel, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. That's a great picture, but I need you to see the distinction. What does Cain bring? Fruit from the ground. What, what does Abel bring? The first fruits of his flock. You see what I'm saying? There's already a distinct difference. Cain, a little fruit here and there, right? Abel, the fruit, uh, the first fruits of his flock. Okay, next slide. Crazy passage in the scripture. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. 
So this, here's what's crazy. You, you should be asking, like, why are they bringing sacrifices to the Lord already? Like, the, the, this hasn't been commanded. Uh, apparently, right after Adam and Eve, there's still this concept that, that God is somewhat in control and that He's somewhat worthy of worship. And so, both of these sons bring sacrifices. But look at this. The Lord had regard, uh, uh, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. I've never seen that before. It's not just that he had regard for the offering, but he had regard for Abel and his offering. And just like that, look at that. But, he, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. It wasn't just that he despised the fruit from the ground. It was Cain and the fruit from the ground, right? And Cain doesn't take too kindly to this. Next slide. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. How many of you guys wear your emotions on your sleeve? You're like emotion sleeve McGee. Like everyone can always tell what you're thinking, what you're feeling. You're constantly crying and yelling. Like that's just you, right? People never have to guess at what's going on in that heart of yours. Well, the Bible says that Cain, in his moment of seeing that God accepted his brother's sacrifice, that his face fell. Rightfully so. He's the older son. Like, that, like his offering is supposed to be the deal. In Genesis, you'll know, the birthright is huge. The first, the born first, they had the share of the inheritance, right? We see this come up later with Jacob and Esau in Genesis. So Cain's of face falls. Now, what happens next, this is crazy, is God and Cain have a conversation. So Adam and Eve sin. And then you would think because he sent them to Nod out of the garden, that God would just be like, forget you guys. You know, you guys ate the fruit. You guys listen to the enemy. He was a snake. Are you serious? I'm much better than a snake. You would think that he would just say, I'm out of here. But he doesn't. He's still present. And look what he says to Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? I love this. So perceptive, right? So God, in his care of his people, still, he's like, hey, uh, notice that there's something going on there in that heart of yours. A little bit of anger, I, uh, I realize. If you do well, God says, will you not be accepted And if you do not do well, listen, do you understand that he makes this next statement right after the fall of man? Sin has just come into the heart of man. And he says this right after God. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This is going to stick with me for a long, long time. I've never seen that before. God already saying, listen, Cain. I see in your heart right now, sin is crouching at its door. Its desire is for you. And now all of a sudden, uh, Genesis chapter 4 becomes fairly relatable to us. The Bible says that God will always provide a way out of our temptation. So have you seen these moments when temptation is looking at you right in the face and you know with all of your heart that God is saying, don't do this. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. Listen to me. Trust me. Don't indulge in this. Do you have that sense? And then in those moments, how often we have the audacity to know and sense that God is saying, please listen, this is sin. This is walking away from me, and yet we indulge anyway. Well, we're no different than Cain. Look what happens right after God says this to Cain. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Uh, so some people tell me that the Bible is a fairy tale. Uh, it's a nice book of pleasantries, uh, good teaching, stuff that warms your heart, right? Well, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but 
These are the first brothers, siblings in the Bible. Okay? So far, there's four people and some animals that are living, right? And the first two siblings kill each other, okay? I mean, this is largely significant to our understanding of the Bible. I don't normally, in my Bible reading or in my encouraging of my young daughter, often say things and end stories with, and then the one killed the other, have a good night, sleep well, honey. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing under your bed, I promise, right? Like, we, we don't... We don't end things like that. It, it helps uh, me legitimize the scripture. The fact that this already is seeing so intense. Can I answer that? That would be amazing. All right. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Look at this. Then the Lord... Uh, back, back to the previous slide, please. Thank you. Previous slide, thank you. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He kills him. And then, then you would think, right? Well, God would be like, okay, and now you've shown your supreme idiocy. Now we're done. No, but God's not done with him. So God comes again. Hey, uh, hey, Cain, uh, I problema. Uh, there were two, and now there's one, okay? Where is your brother? This shows the heart of man right here. I do not know him. I'm my brother's keeper. Listen, listen. That's sarcasm to a holy God. And I want you just for a second to check your heart. In the times when you begin to feel the shame of your sin and then you have the audacity to be sarcastic with a holy, righteous, almighty God. What, am I my brother's keeper? Seriously, come on God, figure it out. We should never, and I know you wouldn't speak it, right? Because that would just seem wrong, but do you think it? God, come on. Like seriously, like what? why would you even expect that of me, God? And I know we're so sarcastic in general with our tone with each other, and you think that sometimes that that doesn't carry over to our conversations with God. You're mistaken. Right? Where is he? Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. This crazy picture of the first two brothers in the entire scripture, which for me paints a beautiful picture that you and I need to understand. Listen, we're going to get to Abel's faith. But before, I think we need to see this. You guys already saw this slide here. The next slide. We need to see the effects of the fall. Genesis 3 happens, sin comes into the world, and right away something happens. Let's watch this together. This will be fun. So, first for Cain. Next slide. Cain gave an offering from the fruit of the ground. But for Cain and his offering, as we just saw, he, God, had no reward. What came out of this then, because God had no reward, next slide, is jealousy. Sin just comes in the world, and already jealousy has gripped the heart of man. And at the onset of sin, that jealousy leads to what? It leads to murder. The very first interaction of humans outside of Adam and Eve after the fall of man is murder. It shows the power and the weight of sin instantly. And the scripture says that because one sinned, all sinned. And you think for a second that propensity isn't in you as well. That's what you're born into. That's what my kids have outside of Christ. Now on the flip side, Abel, things go a little bit better for him. He gave an offering of the firstborn of his flock. 
And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Now, here's the question you should be asking. Why did God accept one and not the other? Like, did Abel look better? Like, you know, did he, you know, do the dance better? Like, what, why did God accept Abel more? Well, you remember we saw the indications previously in the scripture. What? Cain just brings fruit from the ground. Abel brings his first, uh, his first flock, the, the best sheep he had. And so it's as if to say that Cain's heart was just going through the motions. You, like, I'm going to give you a sacrifice, so here. Here, have it. Like, here, just take it. Just go for it. But Abel, there's something else that's happening on his insides. For Abel, this whole perspective of sacrifices, hear God, like, take the best that I have. You're worth that. Take it all. And so the reality of that is faith. He believes that God is who he said he is. And so because of that, he says, hear. And this is so incredibly interesting. Where does that get him? Death. Listen, he's a shepherd, right? He gives his, like the best sheep that he's got, right? And he's innocent in this situation, still born a sinner, but innocent in this situation. And where does he find himself? Dead. You think that's some type of imagery towards the person of Christ? And more than that, look at what this is. The very onset, my friends. Right after sin comes into the world, you have a man who has faith. And what happens to him? He dies. Which starts the pattern of the scripture. You believe in God, there is no promise for security and prosperity. From the beginning, the very first picture we have of a man believing God, he dies. And you think that, oh, because I believe God, like, certainly, like, nothing bad will ever happen to me ever, right? Yeah, well, go back to Abel. The very beginning of man is showing that faith in God doesn't equal security in this flesh. Right? But it still begs the question for me. Next slide. What does jealousy reveal about faith? Let's hang here for a few moments. I think we um, better define this first. Uh, jealousy, the Greek word, this will uh, be a new tap for some of you, is zeleo, which uh, literally means this. To burn with zeal, or to be heated, or to boil with envy, hatred, and anger. Now, there's a difference between jealousy and admiration. Can we agree? Admiration is when you say, like, I I see that in you, and that thing that you do, or that thing that you have, or that way that you uh, follow God, or whatever... I really, really admire that in you. And it creates a healthy tension in you that wants to pursue God more, following that person, if you will. But that's not jealousy. Jealousy finds itself in the base of the human heart and hides itself. Um, how many of you guys had moms that had like deep purses? I mean, it was like they would pull out the kitchen sink sometimes, right? Have you guys had pur- or how many of you? How many chicks are like that now? Like your purse, like you could find a small child in that thing, right? How many of you guys... It's like, wow, there's a cat in there, right? Like all kinds of stuff. Now, listen, jealousy, listen, jealousy is that thing that's hidden down there. And it's masked and shrouded with admiration and then it's tucked in with words of encouragement. So often when we begin to get jealous, 
then we heap on the admiration and the words of affirmation and encouragement to others when deep down in our heart, we're like, actually, I want to fight you right now. I want to punch you in the face. You know what I'm saying? But vocally, what we're saying is, oh, you're the best thing ever. You're such an awesome friend. Thank you so much. And in our heart, we're like, I hate you. And we laugh, but you know it's true. Now, it's easy to talk about jealousy, like, oh, that person has, uh, you know, the, the MacBook Pro, and I really want that, and blah, 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 blah. And those things are easy, and yes, we get jealous over those things, but I want to talk about other things, deeper things. What happens in Cain's heart is that jealousy fuels murder, and you think for some reason that you're not prone to that same thing, I'm not saying with a gun, but certainly with your words. Let's talk about relationships for a second. Uh, let's talk with the girls for a second, specifically. Uh, any uh, from the female species here? Anyone? Okay. A few and several uh, confused? No. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, now, girls, have you ever looked at a relationship, ever looked at a relationship, when you were thinking to yourself, like, how did she get that guy? Like, that, that's a good dude over there. Seems to love the Lord. Seems to, but she... Like, how in the world did she ever get that guy? Like, that, that should be my man, right? Like, I already got the tat here. You know, I wrote it in pen, like, last week. Like, like that's, that's my guy. And then you go to her, girls. I'm so incredibly happy for your relationship. Like, this is the best thing ever. This is the best thing for you guys. And, man, he's, are you sure, though, he's the right guy for you? You know? You sure, like, are you positive, Right? And that jealousy like starts to sink in and it starts to manifest yourself. And though you would never communicate it because you don't want to be seen as a hater in your heart, your whole life is just wrapped up with that over there. Well, what does it have to do with faith? What does it reveal about faith? Jealousy and faith cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. You're like, well, hold on. God's a jealous God. Yeah. Exodus 20. I know the verse. A problem is the Hebrew word is Canaan, and listen to this, that word means God has no rival. Seems like a bit of a different definition there, right? So the Hebrew word for jealousy, God is a jealous God, is he's got no rival. So he's a jealous God. No one can rival him. In this case, we're talking about anger and burning that's coming from your heart. It's relationships. Notoriety. Talk to the male species here for a moment. Any from the male species? Yeah. Less confused. Impressive. We're making progress. Uh, anyway, uh, not sure what to do with that, but um, many of you men, I know, the nature of your heart, and like 98.5% of the dudes in here, our love language is words of affirmation, Okay. And some of you are like, what's a love language? You're, when you get married, you'll, you'll hear about it, all right? Just don't worry about it. But that's what you like. Like, words of affirmation, respect, those things encourage you. So for us dudes, like, when we see uh, someone else getting notoriety, encouragement, whatever, the thing that is so intrinsic in us is we're, but I deserve that. I've, I've done actually a better job than they've done. Like, all these people are talking about this person, but what, like, when are they going to see me over here? And again, you're the first to vocally encourage this guy. Man, I, that, was, that was amazing, right? Well done, bro. Like, that's, that's good. And we do the bro, the half hug, right? right? But in our heart, we're like, I can't wait till you fall. 
Because when you fall, I'm going to be right there to step in and say, look, I'm steady and strong. See that dude, that same dude that you were just affirming? Where'd he go? Hmm? Look at me now. For most of you dudes, like that's intrinsically in us. And there is no faith in that. What faith says is, God, you're in control. You're moving. You're changing hearts. You're morphing. And so when I get jealous, what I'm saying is, I'm not content with what you have for me, God. In fact, God, I have a better plan. Why don't you come over and I'll type it out in the Etch-A-Sketch for you sometime, God. That's what you're saying, right? That's what jealousy is. Lastly, and I think most importantly, is a personality. This is a strange one. How many times have you ever been like, that person's so bubbly, I, I just wish I was more bubbly, right? Or, or that person, like, they're, they're so passionate. That, that person has this, that person has this. Like, I'm so shy, I wish I could just come out of my shell like, like that person. We get so caught up in all of the pieces that other people have and in doing so, constantly damn what God has done in us. God, I'm not thankful for that. I wish I had that. I'm not thankful for that. I wish I had that. I'm not thankful for that. Where is the faith in that? There is none. So Cain sits in his jealous heart and he reveals his lack of faith by saying, Oh, oh, you're going to have regard for my brother? Well, then guess what? I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And what faith is? It says, it's already in your hands, God. See what I'm saying? So Cain and Abel, this amazing example. What happens after the fall and Abel's faith, which we're going to check out just here in a little bit. Let's move on to our next character, shall we? This should be fun. Uh, by faith, Enoch. This would make a great a name for all of your sons, seriously. Actually, after studying this story, I'm like, I kind of wish I would have named my son Enoch. That's pretty rowdy. Maybe we'll have some more kids. You never know. By faith. No, we won't. No, we won't, actually. Uh, never say never. Never mind. Never say never. Heidi's going to listen to this. What'd you tell those people? Right. By, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found. Two people in the Bible who don't die. Okay? This is one of them. So instantly our our awareness should be a bit heightened. This is pretty interesting. Enoch doesn't die. Because God had taken him. He just takes him. He disappears. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now just like Cain and Abel, we should find tremendous interest in this man, Enoch. Why is he in Hebrews 11? Why is his faith commended? So uh, let's look at uh, Genesis 5 where he's talked about. Now... I want to show you the pattern of Genesis 5 because I think it's really, really helpful for us. And the theme will be these people lived a long time. Verse 6. When Seth had lived 105 years, he'd fathered Enosh. Uh, No need to check your spelling there. He was 105 and was just having children, right? Like that's waiting a while. You know what I'm saying? I think we still got a few more years. 105, here we go with my walker and everything else. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters, right? Uh, Thus all the days of Seth were 912 and he died. That's a pretty full life right there. You know what I'm saying? Like you kind of, you take that 912. So here's, here's the pattern. Here's the pattern of this, of of this phrase. Uh, He lived, he fathered after a certain number of years, he fathered again, and then he died. I'm going to show you why this is important here in a second. Next uh, verses right after this, just to prove my point. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan, okay? 
Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh uh, were 905. He kind of got gypped a few years there. Uh, and then he died. Same pattern. He lived, he fathered. After so many years, he fathered again, and then he died. There was his life. Now, this pattern repeats itself three more times. You can check it out in Genesis 5 later. Three more times. And then after that, we meet Enoch. Check this out. Awesome. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Any, any recognition of Methuselah there? Old dude. Okay? Super old dude. Right? Enoch walked with God after... The, hold on. Dad, that, we have a break in the pattern here. Every genealogy in Genesis 5 has a pattern, but here there's a break in it. Enoch walked with God after he followed Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And again in verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now, this is crazy. All these other guys had patterns. You live, you father, you die, you father, right? Or father, die, whatever. Anyway, (laughs) here's Enoch's pattern. He fathered, he walked with God. After so many years, he fathered again, and then he didn't die. Some of you are like, how can I get that gig, right? Like, this is a good gig, right? Live 365 years, have some kids, no one dies, everyone's happy, right? Now, listen, here's the crazy thing. You think that that's so far from your story. But all of a sudden we have this picture of a faithful man who's walking with God. And isn't, clo- isn't it so closely aligned to what we have in Christ? Certainly our flesh dies buried six feet under. But the promise of, of Christ is that we live again. And so in reality this faith component and its connection to life never changes. But I'm still interested in this next question. What does it mean to walk with God? Uh, for those of us that lived in the 80s and the 90s. How many of you guys lived in the 80s? Okay. Good. 20% of us. Uh, we use this, this phrase. We would talk about our relationship with God like this. We would say things like, how's your walk? How's your walk? Now, what, what we soon realized was like when a non-believer heard that, they were like, what, what are you guys even talking about? Like, you Christians are freaks. You know what I'm saying? Like, how's your walk? Do Christians walk differently, you know? Well, well actually, yeah, right? It's just not in the way you think. So that's how we would talk. Like, how, how do you walk? Walking in the Bible is so incredibly quintessential. Over and over and over in the Bible, walk with God, walk with God. All this stuff, Jesus in uh, John chapter 8, look at this. John chapter 8, he says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, so walking in darkness isn't, isn't walking with God, but somehow when, you, when you're walking with God, you're in the light as He is in the light. So all of this discussion about what it means to walk with God. So I want to answer that question deeper. What does it mean to walk with God? Uh, next slide. Well, God's going somewhere. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's moving And so walking with God very naturally implies that God's going somewhere and I'm going with Him. Now, I know that so many of you want God to go with you. 
God, here's where I'm going. Could you come along? Help me out, please. That'd be nice. God, this is going to be tough, so it's really convenient for me right now to pray. And so, God, like, I'm just, come, come along for this thing, God. After this is over, I mean, we'll talk again later, but... No, walking with God is God's moving, and so because God's going somewhere, then I find myself with Him. Right? Uh, so some people would say that this is still walking with God. Next slide. Oh, I'm just, I'm just kind of like, I'm just veered off a bit. Uh, we'll say things like, I'm off the beaten path for a while. Well, if you're off the beaten path, then, then here's your reality. You're not walking with God. You're walking away from God. There are only two options. You're walking with God or you're walking away from God, against God. Are we together? You, you, you can't veer and think that somehow you're still walking with God. No. We're walking with Him or against Him. And I know that many of you tonight, many of you, many of you, find yourself right now walking completely against the things of God. And so, so those people would maybe say, and I, I hope they would say and ask, so what do I do? Like, I, I want to walk with God again, but I'm, I'm far, I'm distant. I'm believing the lie that says I can never turn back. The promise of the gospel is this. You want to walk with God? Then you stop. You stop walking away now. Tonight, right now. Okay, maybe, maybe tomorrow. No, like, every second is so precious. You stop, and the promise of the gospel, next slide, the reality of repentance is when you stop in your tracks walking away from God and you turn back to God and begin walking with Him again. It's the beautiful portrayal of repentance and the depth of His grace welcomes you back. Listen, I know you believed in your heart and your mind that you were too far to ever turn back, but the promise of grace is come on back. You will be forgiven. The depth of my love is true. And so for those of you tonight that are like, you, you've walked so far away from him, you're like, there's no going back now. I beg to differ. There's going back now. Right? And so we knocked to walk with God, trusted God, believed God. Uh, one of the scariest moments in my life uh, was when my son Dawson started walking. Now, Avery, my daughter, when she started walking, she didn't go anywhere. Um, like she, she's kind of like a little princess. She's not a risk taker. So when she started walking, she like still sat in the corner and colored and like prayed and like read her scriptures. You know what I'm saying? Like she, she was just rocking it over there. Uh, when Dawson came out of the womb and I realized how much he looked like me, I, I knew we were in for it. You know what I'm saying? And, and my mom like would tell me stories about me as a kid and you can maybe picture it, but I wasn't the uh, sit-down of sorts. And um, so Dawson starts walking. And, uh, and he, I mean, he's going everywhere. Like, I mean, the, like we're constantly, every day still, saying, where is Dawson? And then pretty soon, like, we'll hear a bass drum up in his room. Oh, there he is, right? We can't find him for like four or five minutes the other day in our house. I go up to his room. Listen to this. He has placed himself in his closet in the top cubby of his closet. He somehow crawled up, and he's like sitting up there. And I walk in, and I, he goes, hi, Daddy. You know, I'm like, how did you? And then the other side is kind of proud. I'm like, that's my boy right there. You know what I'm saying? Find yourself in the cubby, bro. That's good, you know? Now, listen, as scary as it is, I'm telling you right now, when you're a parent, here's one of the coolest moments in your life. 
when you're going somewhere and you look, you look behind you and like all your little ducklings are behind you. <laughs> Seriously. It is such an incredible moment. How many parents are in here, right? Like, isn't that amazing? When you look behind you and your little riffraff are following you. You know, and we're all like hobbling around and now all three of my kids walk and like when we go to the park and I'll set them all down and I'll just start walking like a proud dad and I'll turn around. But here's what that does for me. They're watching where daddy walks, you know what I'm saying? They're watching where daddy's going to lead. I am called as the man of my household to lead my family towards the cross of Christ. And the reality is the weight of that as I look at my little ducklings following behind me is they will follow me. They're following me now. How I worship with my family, how I lead my family, how I'm training my family in Christ, how I'm talking to my wife. They're, wa- they're watching me. They're walking behind me. They're following me. And let me guarantee you this. I will fail those kids. I will make mistakes. I will speak to my wife like I shouldn't. I will at times be angry with them when I should be more gracious. I will fail them when they're walking behind me. Let me tell you this. He will never fail you. You walk with him. He will never lead you astray. Ever. You think for a second that, oh, I'm going to follow God and then soon he's going to take me off the beaten path. It's his path. It's never off the beaten path. And guess what? It is never promised security. Your acceptance of trusting in God is like, listen, wherever you go, I will go. Because that's where I want to be. You will fail, I will fail, but he never fails. And so I say, let's look at Enoch, who just walked with God. I want to follow you, man. Let's go. And so for those of you tonight that are walking away, journeying far from him, repent now. Turn back and come to him. In verse 6, and start pulling this thing in for a landing He summarizes what he's just talked about in Cain, Abel, and Enoch here in verse 6. And without faith, he says, it is impossible to please him. In other words, Abel and Enoch pleased God because they trusted him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Well, some of you would say, well, what's the reward for Abel? His brother killed him. What's the reward? Forever with God, that's the reward. No matter what happens in this flesh, forever with God is a much greater reward than anything else. Amen? Right? So our question should be then, if this is his summary, then why did he use Abel and Enoch in Hebrews? And here's why. Next slide. Abel's faith is this. God is worthy of the best sincere-hearted sacrifice. That was Abel's faith. God, you are worthy of it all. There's no one better. There's no one greater. And so here, have my best. Not just the little scraps off the table. God, here, take it all. And so Abel's faith, from the writer of Hebrews to his listeners and now to us, is to be looked at and said, now that guy trusted that God was completely who he said he was and therefore worthy of everything. No going through the motions. A heart that was completely content in him. And Enoch's faith was this. Wherever God is going is where I want to be. Let me just ask you this. Could you say that tonight? Is that your heart? Is that your desire? God, wherever. The rejection 
that's where you're going, then that's where I want to be. Troubles with fertility, having children, God, if that's where you're going, then that's where I want to be. Troubles with finances, God, if that's where you're going, then that's where I want to be. God, whatever you would have of my life, to your glory, that's where I want to be. That's the essence of faith. All right? Now let's stand together, if you could. There's this amazing moment in the scripture. Right after Adam and Eve sin. Oh, Genesis 3.8 says this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Genesis 3.8. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God is walking and man is hiding. The very first fruits of the sinful heart is God, I know you're walking around, but I'm not walking with you. In fact, I'm hiding in my shame. I can't be in your presence because I know just being in your presence will be condemning. Still believing the lie. One of the best things about being a kid is playing hide and go seek. For sure, right? Best parts of being a kid. Just those night-long journeys of hide-and-go-seek. Did you ever play, listen, did you ever play hide-and-go-seek game? Where after like a half an hour of hiding and no one finding you, you were just like, like I'm, I want to be with some people, you know? Like, I'm getting out of here. I mean, I can remember so many of those games where, you know, I would find the best hiding spot, but the lame part of it was is no one would find you. And that was half the fun, you know? And so there was that sense in you where you like, I'm tired of being alone, right? Like, I, I just, I have to come out and, and see everybody again. That's my prayer for you tonight. That you would get to a place where you recognize God is walking and you're hiding and you say, I'm tired of being alone. I have to be with you, God. There's nothing better. There's no other place I want to be. So God, please stir in me. God, please increase my faith. God, please help me trust you because where you go, I want to go. I don't want to veer. I don't want to hide anymore. I don't want to be alone. So, I know that so many of you guys feel that way tonight. Alone. Sitting in shame. Not just walking from God, but running from Him. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you that repentance can happen tonight. You can turn from the weight of all of those things and rest in His love and grace and comfort now. So are you hiding? For those of you that are, I just want to pray for you, for the hurting, for the hearts that are just broken. You're like, yeah, I, where God is going, actually, I want to go the exact opposite. Listen, it's time to come out and be alone no longer. Let me pray for you guys. Oh God, I ask that for the hearts in here 
that are hurting and struggling. They're in a time in their life where their trust and their faith is being stretched. God, for those people right now, I pray that you would give them courage and strength. I pray, God, that you would do such a work in their life and heart that they would desire even anew tonight to walk with you. God, help them see that sin is crouching at their door, that it's desirous for them. God, help them see that you're the way out. God, for the people in here that feel alone, God, help them know that there's so much community and love and comfort in you. They're never alone. God, help them believe that. Help me believe that. God, I pray tonight that my brothers and sisters will turn from their jealous heart and fully rest in walking with you.